There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. All right, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We've been away for a little bit. For those of you who have listened to us on the Titans before, you uh, first off, thank you. Uh, we appreciate that and, and the fact that you're you're back now. But uh, kind of a, a, a new era when it comes to the Titans coverage for the Tennessean. Uh, you may remember my my former colleague on these podcasts, uh, Eric Bacharach, has moved on, and I am pleased to introduce you to his replacements. Everybody, I'd like you to meet Ben Arthur, uh, the new Titans beat writer for the Tennessean. Uh, ben, uh, talk about yourself a little bit. Yeah, I'm really excited to you know, kind of get going with you all getting to know Nashville, getting to know the Titans. So, you know, exciting next step in, in the journey for me. Um, just so you all, um, all you Titans fans, um, NFL fans know about me. Um, so I am from Seattle. And so I am coming to Nashville from um, from there where I was covering the Seahawks um, primarily for the past three seasons. So if you have any Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, um, those type of questions down the line, you know, be more than happy to kind of share what I know. But, you know, that, that was kind of like my area of expertise where I was at um, SeattlePI.com, a digital um, only news publication, a former newspaper that went all online. So um, so that's where I'm coming to the Tennessean from and, you know, ready to you know kind of get going. I actually haven't moved to Nashville as of the recording of this podcast, but I will be in the next week. So can't wait to get down there. Have you found a place to live? You still looking? Your- I have, I have found a place to live. Huge sigh of you know relief. I'm actually going to be close to the Titans practice facility, which I know is, you know, where I'm going to be most of the time during the season. So, um, you know, really good setup I have for me in Nashville waiting for me. We're all, we're all real thrilled to, to have, been on board and uh you know i i think we've got a good show for you we're going to talk a lot of draft stuff obviously we're a couple of weeks out from the nfl draft we're going to have a guest in uh, uh chase goodbread from nfl.com is going to join us to talk a little bit about uh, some of the prospects and you know who could fall to the titans at that um, number 22 spot before we get there though ben there's there's something i've always wondered and you have a unique perspective as somebody who's, who's covered the league but you know not not in nashville when you come into this beat what was your perception of the Titans as a franchise? And what do you think other people's perception of the Titans as a franchise are? Yeah, I think, well, definitely in Seattle, you know, whenever Titans come, comes up, it, it's really just because of, you know, Derrick Henry and, and just the feats he's been able to, you know, accomplish the, the last couple of years, obviously with the 2000 yard rushing season last year, but, um, but being all the way on the West coast, you know, definitely kind of small, uh, like a smaller market and NFL franchise, at least that was, you know, kind of the perspective I was getting from afar, you know, and, and, and something I was hearing a lot, you know, about it in Seattle was just like how efficient this Titans offense was, you know, with, with Arthur Smith, who's, who's obviously moved on to be the head coach of the Falcons, but just how balanced they were, you know, obviously, you know, I heard about how, you know, Ryan Tannehill came um, you know, on board in Tennessee and really rejuvenated his career, had a renaissance of sorts. Um, you know, what A.J. Brown has become as a number one receiver. He's actually a guy um, that I should add has 
you know, come up quite a bit just because of DK Metcalf, um, the Seahawks um, star receiver. They, they were, you know, college teammates at Ole Miss and they're super close. So AJ Brown actually came up in a lot of discussions and whatnot, but, um, but really that balance of the Titans offense was really something that um, jumped out to me from afar. Um, their ability to, they can, they had a 2000 yard rusher and then a thousand yard receiver. And then, you know, uh, you know, what Ryan Tannehill was able to do in, in kind of his, his second phase of his career. So um, th those would, would be, you know, some of the things that would jump out uh, to me the most about what, um, at least my experience with the Titans from, from afar in Seattle. Yeah. And you, you're, you're joining the, the Titans beat at a, at an interesting time, I think, um, you know, it's, it's been a minute on the podcast. So a lot's kind of happened since our, our last edition of talking Titans. We're not going to do that again, by the way, we're going to make this a more regular thing with, with Ben on board. And I can say this one, th this one's going to delve more into the draft, but just as, as a quick recap, I, I think kind of the, the headline of, the last few months to me has was Mike Vrabel's decision to uh, promote Shane Bowen to defensive coordinator uh, after a season that, that quite honestly was, was not very good on that side of the ball. I think everybody knows that. And so maybe not the most popular decision for him to do that. He also promoted uh, to replace Arthur Smith on the offensive side of the ball, Todd Downing, the, who was Arthur's replacement as tight ends coach. Uh, to me, I think both of those were, uh, they were gambles. They, they were a bit questionable moves in both cases, but especially uh, I think the Shane Bowen move invited a lot of criticism. Uh, interesting, Ben, to note recently, uh, we, we talked to, to Mike Vrabel about this and he was, he was pretty defensive. I mean, he did not only did he not want to talk about Shane Bowen in that role, he, he, he really bristled at the idea that he was being questioned. He didn't want to give any details. And then a couple of days later, he announces he's hired Jim Schwartz yeah, as as some uh, to a mysterious role on the defensive side of the ball that is not coordinator. So, what's your take on that, and what do you think he's going to actually be doing? Yeah, that's that's a a, a very interesting situation. It, it's it's really going to be a wait and see thing, right? Like just really how it all works. Um, you know, from from the outside looking in, obviously as as media people, and then I, I know the fans as well. It's like you know. Like what? What is going on with, with this Shane Bowen promotion to to a role he was kind of already serving in, in a at a de facto capacity, but then you already had the defense was 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 bad. Like it, they couldn't get off the field. The pass rush was obviously awful, and um, you know it, it was just it just didn't work without Dean Pease, um, who's actually now joining Arthur Smith in Atlanta, which was a, you know, interesting twist, um, you know, when that news came out, but it's going to be really fascinating to see, um, you know, how exactly this, this all works out, right? Because Rabel has given the formal title of defensive coordinator to, to Shane Bowen at, at this point, but you know, what, what, what is really going to change? And then when you bring in a guy like Jim Schwartz, who has more experience than Rabel and Bowen actually combined, when you, yeah, it's um, 14 years of defensive coordinating experience. He was obviously head coach of the Lions as well. Um, DC for, for the Titans um, kind of back in the day too. Like what, what's kind of like, like what are those defensive meetings, you know, going to be like, like, you know, when, when things are going South, like who's going to be kind of like the primary voice, right. You know, from what, um, you know, I know Kevin, you know, Bayard and, 
been talking um, that, and, and I believe other other players as well have, have been saying that, and Vrabel too, that uh, Bowen led the meetings and, and all that, even though he was the outside linebackers coach, he didn't have that formal defensive coordinator role, but now he has that. But but look, like if, if the issues are, are still there, like what, like how is the communication going to work, right? And what's kind of the leadership hierarchy in terms of, um, you know, who's going to be looked at to kind of solve the issue. So I think that's going to be a wait, wait and see type of thing, Gentry, to, to, to be honest with you. It's really hard to say, um, you know, what exactly will happen with that. And then obviously we haven't had to had, had the chance to speak with Brable since, the Jim Schwartz hire was announced. So, um, oh, I'm so, sure. Yeah. I'm sure he'll elaborate at length about everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, here, here's what I don't understand about this, and I didn't understand this last year when the the whole well, Shane Bowen isn't the coordinator, but he is kind of when Vrabel's yeah. not there, and he is. Yeah, why so complicated? I don't understand why any of this has to be so complicated. If you have Jim Schwartz on your staff, a guy as you noted, so experienced, make him the coordinator. That's why wouldn't you? I mean, assuming he wanted to do that, why why would you do that? Why would you complicate this to where you you would even invite the suggestion that people don't know what everyone else in the building is doing? And I, I feel like, he, he, look, here, here's how the meetings are going to go among the coaches. Mike Vrabel is going to say, here's what we're doing, and everybody in the room is going to go, okay, coach. Because I think that's, that's what Mike Vrabel wants to have happen. I, I truly believe that. It was interesting that, that he gets – Jim Schwartz on staff as somebody who would would have some expertise and maybe be able to tell him something he didn't want to hear. And I, if that happens and that's something that the Titans are able to in, to have this year and their staff that they did not have last year, then I think that's a huge addition. That if there's somebody that Vrabel trusts in that way that he probably trusted Dean Pease to be able to tell him, no, no, coach, we don't need to do that. If that if that's all he does, this was a great addition for the Titans and something they needed because I, I do feel like, you know, look, no knock on Shane Bowen. I, I don't put what happened last year on Shane Bowen I- any more than I do Kevin Byard or a lot of the players. They didn't have a coordinator. Uh, if you really thought Shane Bowen was capable of running your defense, then why wasn't he running your defense? Why why would you withhold the coordinator title from him when surely he'd want it because he's got it now? Uh, It just never made a lot of sense. And, you know, if you're a player on that defense, you go into last season thinking that Mike Vrabel is your defense coordinator because he is. And now you have someone else in that role, so we'll see how it plays out. The one thing, Ben, that I do agree with, and and I'm just kind of going on and on here, people are like, talk about the draft. But (laughs) the the one thing to to me on all this is I, I just feel like I do agree with them that it was the players. And I, I hate to say that a little bit because I think that's kind of been knocked for, from the standpoint this offseason of you. I think John, John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, the, the actions they've made have been like, well, we didn't think it was the coaches. We thought it was the players. And I hate to agree with that, but I do. When you were looking at that team last year, the, the defense they put on the field against the Ravens, you had some real fringe NFL guys out there. And, and you had... You know, a guy like Breon Borders, I thought overachieved dramatically as a cornerback last year. But how's he in your top two? I mean, this guy had been like cut from seven different teams. He was an undrafted free agent. If he was that good, he would have caught on one of those seven places. I hate to say that. Love Breon Borders. Talked to him last year. Did, did a long story on him. I think he's a, he's a great guy. 
but but once you're you're having to depend on him as as a top two corner, that shouldn't be happening for a team as good as the Titans. You're you're having to depend on Wyatt Ray, guys like that, to produce a pass rush. They they needed more than they had on that side of the ball, and I, I think injuries played a part of it. But um, you know, and I think that's what they're trying to address. Getting you what what you needed, and then just being out of the picture after eight games, and then Vic Beasley, that situation, man, that was that was that was really bad. Um, and you you know you invest money in these guys, and and they don't really pan out, and then that leads to a situation where you do have to have those fringe guys out there, like like you mentioned, and and obviously the injury situation kind of just you know compounded on top of that and, and made for you know bad situation so so we'll see kind of how how it goes and and you know we'll see what they do in the draft but um but you know the, they're kind of starting over right i mean it, now they're bringing in another um outside backer you know edge rushing type in in bud dupree you know who's coming over from, from pittsburgh who they hope um We'll, we'll, we'll fix part of the issue, but then it's like also too, it's like he's coming off an ACL injury and you, you just don't know exactly what you're getting from him, you know, specifically right from the jump. And so that would be interesting. And then Danico Autry, um, you know, very productive uh, D lineman over um, at, you know, the divisional rival Colts too. So, so we'll kind of see what, what they bring to the table too, but, um, but yeah, it, it was, it was very bad from, from a defensive standpoint, uh, from from a personnel uh, defensive standpoint, you know, I should say, and um, so yeah, let let let's see if they can hit hit it in the draft. Yep, they, I, that perfect segue. Yeah, we go right to that. It, it does make you wonder. Okay, the Titans are picking at twenty two. I think everybody kind of assumed edge rusher. That was the one for for the longest that everyone said. Okay, that's the clear need. That's something they're they're going to need. Signing Bud Dupree. You're letting go Malcolm Butler, Adoree Jackson. Now Corey Davis goes to the Jets. There are other needs that have become more prominent, most notably cornerback and wide receiver. So I think, Ben, what you've seen in a lot of the mock drafts so far, and we'll talk about ours here in a second, but there's there's been either those three positions really for the Titans, corner, receiver, edge rusher. I tend to put edge rusher third on that list now. I, I think they could still get one, but – I think that would would have to do more with how the first round falls because corner and wide receiver both look pretty top heavy. They look like they've got some top guys that are that are going to be gone pretty quick. And edge rusher doesn't. Edge rusher looks more there. It's not as top heavy. They're going to have some guys late first, early second that are going to be available. The Titans are basically going to have their pick of several guys. I think at that spot if they want to go that way. But if you're talking corner wide receiver and you're at 22, it might be a situation where you're you're going to have to reach for somebody you really like at one of those two positions, or you're going to have to hope somebody falls for you unless you want to trade up. And that's what we're going to talk about here. Ben and I both agreed, and we didn't talk about this ahead of time either. We both agreed in our la- latest mock drafts. We've each done them, and we had the same player mocked to the Titans in our most recent mock draft. Yeah, we, we, did, we did not talk about this at all. Um, it, it just kind of happened, you know, Caleb Farley out of uh, Virginia Tech corner um, who, who opted out of uh, the 2020 season. The, the first the first player to actually opt out of the season because of the because of uh, covid concerns. And, you know, the reason, you know, you'll, you'll go ahead and kind of explain your re- reasoning for, for, you know, mocking him to the Titans gentry. But to just to kind of give my perspective. Right. Like, you know, the 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 belief the the consensus is that you know uh, Farley is kind of a, a top 
top dog at, at corner, like a tier one CB one type, um, you know, aggressive, great size, you know, playmaker, all that. But then you look at the injury history, um, you know, he, he had the micro uh, dis- disectomy, uh, the, 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 the uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that the, the back procedure um, in, in the spring, you know, which people were kind of concerned about. And then I also know uh, his in the 2019 season, the last season he actually played, he missed a couple games because of uh, the, the last two games because of uh, also a back issue. And then he, he had a torn ACL early in his career at Virginia Tech. So they're kind of like health and dur- durability concerns there, which I think makes him, you know, more likely than, than some of the other top corners, um, you know, at the top of the draft to kind of fall in the Titans range. So that's kind of why I have him um, penciled in at, at number 22, um, you know, at least for now. Um, and, and so, so yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see how it all shakes on, um, draft day, but I think he, Farley's a really, you know, interesting, um, prospect too, in that he, he's only been playing corner for, for two years. Um, because, you know, he didn't have the 2020 season because of opting out the 2019 season is what kind of people are basing off his potential and upside off of. And, and 2018 was his first year really playing corner because he was, a quarterback in high school, like a dual threat guy. And then he came in to Virginia tech to, uh, to potentially play receiver, but then that didn't really work out. And then he had the injury ACL injury and then he, sw- then he switched over to defense. So, you know, I think there's a lot of upside there. I think there's a lot of potential there and, and because of the health and durability concerns, um, you know, I, I think kind of the, the mixture of all those factors um, makes him the most likely top corner to kind of slide into the Titans range. If you're the Titans, I'm not sure you let a guy that good get past you at 22. And, yeah. and I, I think we're, we're going to talk a, a good bit more about Farley with our guest uh, here in a minute and chase Goodbread, a guy who, who has uh, written about Caleb Farley and, and, and knows a bit about his story. And I, I think that's a, that's a win. If you're able to get him, I, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a back issue though. And there are some red flags. The one thing is that that I do wonder how this might affect the Titans this year versus any other year in the draft under John Robinson is what happened last year with Isaiah Wilson. Does that make you more risk averse now than you would have been? Because what's worse than completely blowing a first round pick? Well, completely blowing two first round picks. And And it does add a lot of pressure that I think probably wouldn't have been there in a normal year because the Isaiah Wilson bust was spectacularly bad, uh, historically bad, quite honestly, a guy who, who you barely got on the practice field, much less in the game. We've talked about Isaiah plenty on, on here, so we're not going to rehash that, but it does make you wonder, does it make you more risk adverse? Are you, are you a lot safer? Because, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the same setup that, that led to Isaiah's pick is in, is in place now, having to do Zoom calls with prospects, not being able to sit down face to face the way you would have in a normal year. And um, it, look, I, I don't think there's any of those concerns with, with Caleb Farley, but a back issue is, is something that I think is going to give, give teams a lot of pause. And, um, you know, it, for the Titans, it was, there's that issue w- with Caleb Farley, but, you know, I think the question also picking at 22, that do you, if you don't get what you want there, at what point would you look to trade up? At what point would you look to trade back? Because 
I think if you don't get what you want there, I do think you would be reaching at corner and receiver at those spots mm-hmm. because I think you've got guys that you know are probably going to be gone. Farley is the one that could fall. Um, but I feel like J.C. Horn at South Carolina is 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 kind of taking his spot as that other top guy with Sertan at Alabama. And so I think those corners could all go, and I think the receivers with Chase and the two at Alabama, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, that they could all go too. So um, I don't think it would be the worst move if they did trade back and it came to that. Uh, I also don't think it'd be the worst move if Devonte Smith happened to be there at 10 or 11 and 12 and they moved up to get him. Yeah, that's, that's actually something I wanted to, to bring up because when, when you look at the the projections with Devonte Smith, he, he's kind of all over, right? Like I've seen his, him as high as six to the dolphins, but then I've also seen him sliding in, into the late teens. And, you know, obviously the, the kind of the weight, the size thing is a concern, um, you know, with him, even though he was, you know, just phenomenal, you know, at Alabama, you know, just uh, transcendent, you know, type of uh, pr- production and and just what he what he did for that offense, obviously winning the Heisman. Like if he ends up like in the teens, like mid teens, um, you know, it, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Titans, you know, tr- trade up for for a guy um, like that. And and, you know, I, I think he'd be a, and I know you've written about this too, Gentry, but, you know, he, he could be a nice number two compliment to AJ Brown, you know, with, um, with, with uh, defenses, you know, rolling their coverages over to Brown and all the attention he's going to get, you know, all Devonte, you know, has to do in, in a lot of situations is, is beat his guy, you know, in, in, in man coverage in, in single man coverage. And, you know, he, he's obviously a guy capable of doing that. So, you know, if, if he does kind of fall back a bit, I think he's someone um, that the Titans could potentially trade up for. I think you make a good point about um, maybe the guys the, the, the Titans want maybe aren't there at corner or receiver. And so maybe trade back. Like I, I think particularly, you know, with, with the receiver receiving class, I think there's a lot of late first round, early second round talent. Um, and so even if you trade, even if you don't get what you want at, at 22, you trade back. Uh, the, I think there'll be so many options uh, available for the Titans there. I, I know Rashad Bateman from Minnesota has been a popular choice. Um, you know, a guy who can play inside and out, um, you know, real solid guy uh, for, for the Gophers. And then, you know, uh, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, who A.J. Brown is vouched for on Twitter already, his former teammate at Ole Miss a slot guy um, in my mock um, on Tennessee and uh, on the Tennessean website, I had Amari Rogers from Clemson and Knoxville native um, who I think could be, you know, an option in the second round as well. Um, Kadarius Tony, you know, just an explosive um, dynamic, like really shifty uh, type of player, uh, you know, he, he's a really exciting talent. You know, he he's a guy I've seen go anywhere from 20 in the mock drafts to, to the 50s range. So, um, you know, I think with, with trading back, the, the Titans will have, you know, a lot of options. Um, so it, it's going to, like you said, it, it's really going to come down to, like, how everything sh- shakes up in the first 15, 20 picks. You know, with, with, with Kadarius, Tony, it's interesting because a lot of the receivers that you're seeing – Real high, I, you know. Other than Kyle Pitts, a tight end, a lot of the, the receivers that you're seeing, 
the two guys from Alabama talk about Kadarius Tony. We're going to talk to Chase a little bit about Rondell Moore. These guys are all undersized, and there's 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 some questions. They're all similar players, and I think one thing that's kind of hurt Kadarius Tony is he's kind of being rated behind the two Alabama guys, mm-hmm. even though. And I think Devontae Smith's phenomenal. I don't see anyone who could watch last season and not think that. But I think Tony, you mentioned, you know, if he falls into the second round, I, I think I think that's a steal for somebody. I do. I, I think that guy is a first-round talent. He's a playmaker with what he was able to do with, with Dan Mullen at Florida. Another guy you mentioned I like a lot is Bateman from Minnesota. Uh, when you watch him, that guy can play. That there's There's ball skills. There's a lot there that – is impressive and I think would fit very well with what the Titans want to do. Um, I, I feel like the, the backstory on him a little bit, and I had no idea, Ben, until I really looked into this. That dude is from Tifton, Georgia, which I know you're up in Seattle and you don't really know where Tifton, Georgia is, but it's it's down there. It's 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 way down there near the Florida line in South Georgia. And I, I've, I found it fascinating that a guy from Tiff County ends up going to Minnesota and the, the reason he did was because he was overlooked as a prospect in high school. Uh, P.J. Fleck from Minnesota was showing some interest. In, and as the story goes, Rashad told him, look, coach, if you offer me, I'll commit. So he did. And he did. And then he, he blew up his senior year, I think, had best numbers or one of the best seasons in the state of Georgia as a high school senior. And the local schools, they, they got wise to it at that point. Georgia and other schools began to recruit him. He stayed with Minnesota. And as somebody who has covered lots of college football recruiting, that that is really rare for a, for a kid to do that because um, I that to me says a lot about the type of person you would be drafting with Rashad Bateman. The loyalty he showed to still go to Minnesota, not play in the SEC at Georgia or Auburn or wherever. He, he stuck with Minnesota and to go all the way up there. And not only that, he, I've seen interviews where he says he loves it. He wants to live there, you know, after his football career is over. So, um, you know, just kind of an interesting side note there. We're going to bring in our guests now to, to kind of join in uh, the conversation that we've had to this point. All right. We are now joined by one of my very favorite people in the business, a guy I've known a really long time, uh, Chase Goodred from uh, NFL.com. Uh, Chase, how's it going? How's, uh, how's the draft prep? You ready to, to, to get this done in a couple of weeks? Ready to get past it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Doing fine, though. Coming down the, the stretch here, I'm, I'm working on uh, – kind of finishing up one last long form that uh that i'm going to file before the draft and then and then after that it's it's a new cycle of prospects for me just to explain a little bit chase has maybe the best job of anybody i know in our business (laughs) and that he gets to go around and really get to know a lot of draft prospects leading in and really tell their stories and and i'm telling you if you don't read what chase does for nfl.com you should I mean, it's it's must read stuff heading into the draft each year. the The stories he's able to uncover and tell about these guys are incredible. And you know, I'm really glad to have Chase on here to talk about uh, some of, some of those guys. You know, Chase, one of the, the I read your story on Caleb Farley, who, who we've we've been talking about on the podcast here, and and uh, you know, it's really an interesting story to me. I think you captured kind of his personality in that. You know, this guy's a leader. He's not a follower. There's so many things he did that, you know, others aren't doing from sitting out last year for he was kind of the first to do that. But he also, you know, you got a guy who's, who's got religious beliefs, so he goes to parties and he's not following the crowd there. And I mean, did you kind of get that that sense from him? It's a pretty strong willed individual. 
No doubt about it. Yeah, he he he's he definitely marches to his beat with no apologies, and, and good for him on that. Uh, he, he's a um, phenomenal athlete, obviously, but beyond that, a guy who's who's got a lot of strong convictions. And he was convic- He was strongly uh, had convictions to be the first opt out, which wasn't an easy thing from the outside. But when you kind of jump in and sit down with him and sit down with his family and talk to him about it, it, it it was an easy. It was a much easier decision for him than I think us anyone on the outside would have assumed uh, last summer in late July when it looked like there might not be college football at all and you know everybody knew that there were going to be some opt-outs by major college players but no one knew who would be the first and and he didn't mind being the first whatsoever you know one of the comments he made to me that I think made the story was that if nobody had followed him if Micah Parsons and Greg Rousseau and all these other guys who, who opted out if none of them had done that and he'd been the only one wouldn't have bothered him one bit you know, and, and his so his reasoning was to to keep his his father safe because he had lost his mother recently, right? His mother had died um, shortly after he got to Virginia Tech, uh, right after his red shirt season there uh, in seventeen, and uh, it was obviously a devastating loss for him. She she succumbed to cancer, and yeah, keeping his father safe from COVID nineteen was was definitely at the forefront of his mind. And, and, uh, you know, he had some concerns specific to Georgia tech pro or excuse me, specific to Virginia tech protocols as well, that, uh, led him to the decision to go ahead and, and opt out. And, and, you know, everything that I was able to gather, uh, and go into his hometown of, of Maiden, North Carolina and, and Hickory as well. It's, it's, it's near Hickory, which is a little bit bigger town, uh, was that he was, taking COVID really seriously, probably a lot more seriously than most teenagers or college kids, certainly his, his age, his peer group, uh, than, uh, than, than a lot of people might think, you know, and this is even before, uh, he opted out. This is during last spring, you know, during the quarantine time, it, it was no joke to him. You know, one of the reasons we're, we're, talking about Farley and I probably wouldn't have expected this for the, from the Titans perspective, you know, picking 22, it would have seemed a reach to think they would have had a shot at this kid. I mean, he was being mocked top 10, top dozen, 15, but it does seem recently there's been more of a, of a thought that he could potentially fall into that range. Daniel Jeremiah mocked him to the Titans recently. You know, we've talked about that on our podcast here and, you know, I know there's back concerns with his health. uh, And I guess when you're talking about a back issue, that's the kind of thing that, would cause maybe some bigger red flags and some other things, because that, that could be a chronic type of situation. The fact he set out last year, he doesn't really have a huge resume from, from, from college. I mean, obviously he's got a lot of the measurables, but maybe not the kind of body of work that, a, that is Patrick Sertain or, or a JC Horn at South Carolina would have. Do you think he would, fall into that range do you think it's realistic to think the titans who who badly need a cornerback could could end up getting a guy that good that late i think it is realistic and 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 you're right there there was a time there where people were um suggesting that it was really him and sertan at the top of the draft at, at that position 
and and that he may even be the first cornerback off the board. Uh, it, it looks like that's going to be Sertan at this point, a couple of weeks before the draft. Uh, and the back issue definitely, I think, is driving some of this uh, supposed fall for him. Uh, he, he obviously wasn't able to do anything at Pro Day except for uh, interview with clubs. Uh, he had been training for Pro Day. Uh, so, you know, I, obviously it, it you know, wasn't something that, that he'd known about for a super long time. But, you know, he, he had a, a back procedure uh, right around the time of his Pro Day that, that uh, shouldn't be an issue for him long term. Uh, at all, uh, but especially this year, I think with there being no official medical checks at the combine, I, th- I think maybe red flags in general in the NFL are or maybe raised a little bit higher for for this year because uh, the team doctors maybe aren't as able to uh, get a look at these guys as they normally would. And so, yeah, I I, I think it's conceivable he could slip that far. I think he's absolutely going to be a first rounder. Uh, the guy's tape from 2019 is just phenomenal. That's the one year that kind of anchors his draft status. Uh, but uh, yeah, no doubt about it, I, I think he's he's a possibility for Tennessee. Yeah, some uh, some background with Chase and I. We used to uh, cover Alabama together uh, years ago on the same beat. Chase is still in Tuscaloosa, so I feel like I can uh, I can ask you about Alabama players. I wrote recently that, uh, you know, there's some talk. The Titans are kind of in that range. You know, what what do they do? Do they trade down? Do they trade up? They may not get what they want at 22. You know, other than corner, I'd say their biggest need is wide receiver. And I wrote recently, you know, I'm starting to see some of these, this talk that Devontae Smith could end up falling into the teens or something like that. Uh, Concerns about his size and some of these other things. That, to me, is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Uh, The idea of that happening shows that measurables are run amok in the NFL draft process and production is not valued nearly enough. Because if he is sitting there at 12, 13, 14, and I'm the Titans, needing a number two receiver to replace Corey Davis, I would would move up in a heartbeat to go get that guy. You think I'm crazy? I mean, first off, do you think I'm crazy that he would fall to that level? And, and, and in terms of him and Jalen Waddell, who do you think would be the better pro prospect and who do you think teams view as the better pro prospect? As good as Devontae Smith is, I like Waddell a little bit more as a pro. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see which of the two goes first. I, I don't think there's any question that there are some teams that have got Smith ahead of Waddle and some teams that have got Waddle ahead of Smith. Uh, he is a phenomenal player, had a phenomenal season, obviously, at Alabama, winning the Heisman and so forth. Uh, his, his ball skills and, you know, he, he's not the biggest guy, but he plays big, right? Uh, if he weighs 180, he blocks like he's 200. If he's, if he's six feet tall, uh, he goes up in the air for a contested catch like he's 6'2 or 6'3. So he, he certainly plays above his size. Uh, and and I think he's going to make a fantastic receiver for somebody. But could he could he slip out of the top ten? Yeah, I think that's conceivable. And, and it's not to knock him at all. It's just when you consider that that as good as he is, is he going to go ahead of Kyle Pitts? Probably not. Is he going to go ahead of Jamar Chase? Probably not. Is he going to go ahead of Jalen Waddle? Maybe not. Okay, so as good as he is, right there we're talking about 
about a, a, a possibility of him maybe being uh, the fourth receiver. And I'm counting Pitts as a receiver, frankly, because every team in the NFL looks at him as a receiver mm-hmm. more than a tight end. A, but we're talking about him maybe being the, the fourth pass catcher drafted. If you're the fourth pass catcher drafted in a draft where the quarterbacks are going to dominate the top five, then yeah, sure. You can slip out of the top 10. I, I think that would, whoever lands him is going to get a guy who years later, they're going to look back and say, how in the world was he not one of the top yeah. few players? Pick? I, I've, I've seen too much, too much of him. I understand the concerns about his size and you, you know, a guy going over the middle in the league. Could, I, I understand all that, but that's just, I, you know what, Chase, I would have said the same thing about Derrick Henry years ago. And now people look at that and go, how in the world does that guy follow the second round? I think Najee Harris could have that happen this year, by the way. I think he could end up falling into the second round. And that's another guy that, you know, guy, what are you thinking? I, I understand the the value of skill guys necessarily isn't the same as some other positions. But, you know, come on. Uh, another guy you wrote about, and, and I know this guy fairly well because I used to work in Louisville, uh, Kentucky, and I covered him in high school, is Rondell Moore, who, who uh, I think he, he's been mentioned with the Titans second, third round, you know, again, needing wide receiver. He's another guy that I think is being overlooked a little bit because of the measurables. He's mm-hmm. about – Rondell's what, about 5'7"? In that neighborhood, yeah. But this guy is 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 one heck of a playmaker, and, and you could see it back then. He goes to Purdue in Jeff Brom's offense. His freshman year was unbelievable. And he's a guy that – another one that I think people are, are sleeping on a little bit. What, what, what did you make of Rondell and kind of his story and what he can do? Sorry to rain here a bit. I'll apologize if there's any thunder in the background. Uh, but I'm staying dry, so <laughs> no, no worries about rainwater on a, on a Zoom call. So, yeah, Moore is a guy he, – he's a classic chip-on-the-shoulder small athlete, right? Um, always been told he's too small. Always disproving that pretty much at every level. Uh, and, and I think sometimes he doesn't get credit for how physically strong he is, right? He's, he's not tall at all. He's not really that heavy either. Uh, but if you look at some of the things that he was able to do at his pro day, it's obvious that the guy is, is a dynamo uh, from, a, from a strength standpoint. So I think he can break tackles at his size in the NFL. Um, he, he, he's built compactly. He's pretty thick. Um, and, and, of course, he's not only super fast but super quick. He's got an ability to change gears a little bit. Um, you know, you, you mentioned you and I covered Alabama for a long time. Uh, familiar as I am with Alabama football going way back, I got I, he reminds me a little bit of David Palmer uh, in, in his ability. Who's that's going back? That's going back. No, that's uh, a good one. Thirty years now. The uh, uh, the, the, the deuce, David Palmer could loose, do at man. Alabama was uh, he he could change speeds um, during the play and kind of lull people to sleep. He could stop and start on a dime, but then, you know, he would, he would run 80% and gets, and, and, and then, and then hit a jet to a hundred percent and make somebody miss that way. Uh, and then he'd gear it down to, to 40% to make somebody else miss. And, and, and Rondell Moore's got that ability, uh, so, which makes him incredibly fun to watch as a player. And by the way, if there's anything to be said for, complimentary receivers, right? Having a big guy, having a small guy, having a red zone guy, having a speed guy. Uh, what about, what about Brown 
uh, with Rondell Moore in terms of complimentary skill sets. Devontae Smith, too, man. Can you imagine? I, I think that second wide receiver spot with the Titans is an absolute goldmine. I, I think Corey Davis proved it last year. You're, you're talking about defenses that have to deal with Derrick Henry, number one, but then also you have A.J. Brown at that number one spot, and I think Corey Davis had the best year of his career because he wasn't the number one guy anymore, and he was able to, to take advantage of single coverage, and I think if you put – uh, Devonte Smith for sure, but somebody like Rondell Moore in, in that kind of situation, big numbers. Big, I would suggest drafting both of them on your fantasy team. So, all right, well, Chase, no Chase, thanks so much. I'll let you get out of the rain there uh, in Tuscaloosa, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really appreciate you coming on and joining us, man. Always, uh, always good to talk. No problem, Gentry. Appreciate it anytime. All right, well, that was uh, Chase Goodbread from NFL.com. And I'll, I'll repeat what I said there. If you're not reading what he does, you should be. His, his long-form stories on a lot of these players are, are can't-miss stuff every year. They really are. And, um, you know, especially for, for, for a guy like Caleb Farley, who, who I do think there's a chance uh, can end up in Nashville. Um, but, uh, you know, really a, an interesting look at him. Ben? As as we we talk about all this stuff, you know your mock draft recently. You 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 were a lot more ambitious than I was. I'll do the first round, but I'm not not sitting there trying to pick who pick who's in the fifth and sixth round. You did all seven rounds for the Titans, and what what did you kind of learn doing that? And when you get to like the fourth or fifth round, are you just kind of eh, you know how do you make that decision? Yeah, it's when when you get past like the third round, it, it gets really, really tough. <laughs> and um, yeah, you just kind of have to lean on. I, I, I mean, th- there's so much great uh, analysis, um, you know, film study on a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the guys projected to go in, you know, the later rounds, um, you know, uh, there is uh, from the athletic, um, the, the beast, that massive draft guide that I, I think Brugler, Dame Brugler, um, my apologies if I'm butchering his name, butchering his name, but, um, you know, he has a really awesome um, and extensive detail on, you know, every single, you know, prospect, um, you know, from, from early that's projected to go early and, and all the way to, you know, late. Uh, seventh, you know, seventh round and, and priority free agent guys. And so, you know, resources like that, I, I, I kind of use to, to help, um, you know, of course. Um, but then, yeah, it's just, you know, looking at, you know, some of the other, you know, Titans needs and just, you know, figuring out, um, you know, who, who could potentially, you know, be available like these, these older, um, you know, upperclassmen um, from these power five schools who aren't getting, um, the same, you know, kind of attention as obviously the early round guys, but just guys who are, you know, who, who may go in that range um, or, or guys who, um, you know, had injuries um, and saw their, have seen their stock um, dip a bit. And so, um, so it was really a, a lot of thing, a lot of resources I used to kind of help me kind of really expand to, to get like fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round um, you know, projections and then just kind of leaning on what I saw at the senior bowl um, as well. Um, I think that, that, that really helped me too. Um, but Gentry, it was tough, man. It was really tough, but um, I think, I mean, look, I, I mean, the, it's so beyond hard to project 
you know, picks that late into the draft. I mean, so many things can, can happen and you just, you just kind of have to pick a guy um, who, who's maybe, you know, sliding under the radar or an older guy, like I said, or, or something like that. And, and hopefully, um, and, and so hopefully, you know, my, my, uh, my seven round mock kind of made sense for people in the later rounds, but that's kind of, kind of what happened with that. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's tough to, it's important. I think when you think about what the Titans might do in the first round to look at how deep these spots are wide receiver, I think is pretty deep. I think it was deep last year. It was deep in free agency. I, I think that the point being it's, it's not as difficult to find a legit, wide receiver two, as I think it would be to find a legit first or second cornerback. Uh, I think there's probably more value at that spot, given what else you're going to find in the draft, but you're, you could, you could find guys that could help you. Um, you know, I think last year there, there was some surprise that say what you want about Isaiah Wilson and, and, and how that worked out. But at the time I kind of questioned the pick just because why are you picking a tackle? You knew last year that the Titans most of their holes were on the defensive side of the ball. They had re-signed Dennis Kelly, and you kind of assumed, okay, that's that's Jack Conklin's replacement. They're going to have a right tackle, and he ended up being the right tackle because Isaiah couldn't, you know, wasn't able to help him. But I, I, when you see that pick, you know, last year they picked a tackle in the first round and a running back in the third round. Uh, they 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 were able to get Christian Fulton, and, and, which I thought was a pretty clutch thing for the Titans that Christian Fulton was still available after they passed on corner in the first round, but to go offense on two of your first three picks, I I really don't think the Titans can continue to do that. I I feel like, you know, it's going to be so tough because there's such a give and take here because yeah, you need a receiver, you need a tight end. And I don't think they're in a position where they're going to go grab a tight end or trade up and get Kyle Pitts or anything in the first round. But I think, by the time you get to that third or fourth round, you need to be thinking about that because I don't see a tight end one on their roster right now. Uh, Anthony Anthony Ferks or Jeff Swain, great. They, they're good for what you need them to be, but they are not They are not Jonu Smith. And I don't know if they're going to be able to draft a Jonu Smith. So uh, you, you kind of pencil in that third round pick looks like tight end to me, maybe fourth at the latest, but you're going you're gonna to have to do something. There just aren't tight ends available on the market right now. And then, okay, well, if you take a receiver in the first round, tied in the third round, now you got two, two out of your three first three picks are offensive players again. It's tough. It's a tough give and take here. And it's kind of been the theme to this whole offseason for the Titans is how much better can they make their defense without, without hurting their offense to the and, – and there's that, – that's just it. It's, it's how expendable are some of their offensive pieces in order to do what they need to do on defense. Yeah, it's – it's a it's a unique situation the the Titans are in just because like they need they needed you know coming into this offseason they needed so much help on defense but that they also have like really key positions that they need to fill on offense i mean they they were arguably if not the most like balanced offense um in the NFL and and obviously the offense is is kind of the it's like the thing for, for the Titans right now in terms of you know leading the team like you know on, on, they're on De- Derrick Henry's back and you know all that and and you know the offense leads is leading the way for this team and so you need to make sure you're right on offense although you have all these defensive issues that you need to address and so it is tough 
Um, so, you know, so, so yeah, with, with, with the draft, it, it's going to be interesting how, how they look at all those priorities, right? Like juggling um, the need for defensive talent now, and then also the need for starter, you know, the guys that they can just plug in on, on offense right away. And so, you know, in terms of like their top three picks, you know, may, I mean, at least I'd say one, one is for, for offense, like that top pick in the first round, regardless of what they do with it. I think it could be wide receiver. Um, and then the, the other two defense, but, um, but who knows, maybe, I mean, we, we've talked kind of a little bit about the, the Isaiah Wilson fiasco, maybe, who knows, maybe they go right tackle first. That wouldn't shock me actually. It, it not would, after it, last yeah, year. I don't, I don't think it would really shock anyone. And, you know, the, the right tackle spot isn't really set. I mean, Dennis Kelly's obviously gone. They released him, which I think shocked a lot of people. And, um, you know, right now, the, the way it's set up, Kendall Lamb and, um, um, and Ty uh, Sombrello um, are, are, are kind of set to kind of hold the fort down. But, you know, you still need a long-term option. I mean, those are, um, those are just kind of stopgap options. So, so what, where does that kind of put right tackle on the priority list, right? Is that maybe it doesn't warrant the first round pick, um, but maybe maybe use that second round pick on on a right tackle and maybe that third round pick. So, um, so yeah, the, the balance of needing the defense to improve, improve a ton on top of needing the offense to still be really, really great I think is a really interesting dynamic the Titans have to work with um, entering the draft. Yeah, and um, seems to me you have more needs than you have picks, at least in those first couple of days. Trade down. That, the answer to that would be to trade down. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Talking Titans. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Ben Arthur, I'm Gentry Estes. Thanks so much for listening. Peace out, guys. Talkin' Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talkin' Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talkin' Titans is a production of the Tennessean.